do extend a warm word of welcome to each one this morning as we gather together to worship the Lord, and we trust the Lord's blessing upon us, and we do welcome those who may be visiting, those who are watching online as well, and we trust that you feel welcome and be blessed as uh, you gather today. I'm going to commence our worship by turning in our hymnals uh, to the section of Psalms at the back. Uh, the Psalm 117a, uh, the Psalm 117a, from all that dwell below the skies, oh, let Jehovah's name arise and let his glorious name be sung in every land by every tongue. The Psalm 117a, it's a familiar tune and we'll stand to worship please. You may be seated. We're going to turn in the Word of God for our scripture reading to the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 6. The Acts of the Apostles in chapter 6. And in this the commencement of the office of the deacon within the Church of Christ. Acts 6, verse 1, the Word of God says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, 
It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and Stephen, man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they said before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great comfort to the faith. And Stephen, full of did great miracles among people. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of His precious and infallible truth this morning. Let us unite together in prayer and seek the Lord for His blessing to be upon us as we worship and for His blessing to be upon His flock. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we rejoice today that we can come into thy presence. We can lift our voices to thee in praise. And we thank thee that thou art a God whom we can preach. That thou art a God who is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable. We rejoice, Lord, in who thou art to us, thy people. And we thank thee that thou hast saved and redeemed us. We thank Thee for the great work of salvation uh, through uh, Thine only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we rejoice in the Savior, in who He is, and uh, the One who is the only Redeemer of God's elect. We thank Thee for what we considered in the adult Sunday school today of the Lord Jesus Christ being the eternal Son of God, not a mere created being, not a mere man with no power or ability to save, but the eternal Son of the living God. He who came into this world and took upon Him flesh. The one who lived righteously and perfectly and who could not sin. And neither did He ever sin. And we rejoice today that the Savior went to Calvary's cross and died to redeem His elect people from their sins. And Father, we rejoice today that there is a Savior, uh, that there is a Redeemer, uh, that uh, there is one who ever liveth to make intercession for us. And Lord, we pray that we would love the Savior and treasure the Savior, that we would rejoice in who He is, that we would believe the great truths in Scripture and not be like those who have cast those truths aside May we have that high view of Christ. And may we esteem Him fully as who He is, the eternal Son of God who is our Savior. And today, O oh God, as we gather together in worship, we pray for Thy hand to be upon us. We look for Thy blessing. We look, Father, for the infilling of Thy Spirit as we come to consider the ministry of Thy truth. We need Thy Spirit to move within us. 
to move in our hearts, to apply uh, the truth of Scripture. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be prepared by Thee uh, to receive that Word, and that it may be planted within our hearts, and that it may grow within our lives. May it bring forth fruit in the days and years that lie ahead. Father, we pray that Thou would bless the preaching of Thy Word uh, from this pulpit uh, each time we gather here. We do think of the wider ministry on the internet and on uh, the radio also. And Lord, we pray that Thou would bless uh, that work. Bless Thy truth as it is proclaimed. And we rejoice in the Word of God that brings uh, light and sends forth the great messages revealed by Thee in Scripture concerning man and his sin and the wrath of God but also the glorious gospel of Christ. And Lord, we pray that as thy word is preached, it will be faithfully preached. Men and women would see their need of a Savior, that they would turn from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, move in our midst today. Move within hearts that are cold toward thee. Hearts, Lord, that have never trusted in thee. Move, we pray. Compel sinners to look unto Christ, who alone is their Savior. Lord, we remember thy flock here. We pray for thy blessing upon them. We do remember, Lord, the Sunday school. We pray thou would bless the children and families of our congregation. Lead and guide them in the ways of truth. Give household salvation, we ask of thee. Lord, we do remember those who are unwell and who need thy help. To remember... Father, our sister Debbie, bless her, we pray. May she know thy presence and thy strength. We think, Father, of our brother Vern and the Hanson family as well. Lord, bless and may our brother know thy hand of good upon him. We think of Mrs. Chesney also, still in the hospital. Lord, we pray that she would know thy hand upon her. And bless Colin and the family circle also, we pray. Lord, we remember others also who need thy help and need thy strength. We pray that thou would be pleased to minister to them, to lift them up, that they would rejoice, that they've casted all their care at thy feet, knowing uh, and experiencing the care of Christ for them. Father, we pray thou would forgive us for our sins. We look to thee that thou would help us to examine ourselves, uh, to look at our sins, to look, Lord, at our actions in light of thy word. Conform us to Christ more and more, we pray. Give us that desire to live holy lives that are pleasing unto thee. Lord, may we do so for the honor and to the glory of thy name. Bless us, we pray. Do us good. Close us in with thyself. Take away distractions. And may we be focused upon our Savior this day, ready and willing to receive thy word to our hearts. Bless us. Do us good in this service, we pray for the Savior's sake. Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn again in our hymnals to the hymn number 69. Hymn 69. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. The hymn 69 will stand as we sing again, please. 
may be seated. At this point in our service, can we extend again a warm word of welcome to each one gathered in to the house of God today. Um, we trust the Lord's blessing to be upon us. Uh, we welcome those uh, who are watching online as well and trust again the Lord's blessing uh, to be upon you. Do you remember the remainder of the services today? We have our prayer meeting at 5.30 downstairs and then our evening worship at 6 p.m. And we encourage and invite you to come along again and to worship the Lord with us. On Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., uh, we have our Bible study and prayer meeting downstairs. It's on Zoom as well. And if uh, you are not on the email list for that, uh, please contact me and I can send you uh, the link uh, and add you to that list when it goes out on Wednesday morning. On Saturday, the 17th of February, uh, we have our men's breakfast at 8 a.m. And so uh, we encourage all the men in the congregation uh, to come and to have fellowship with us. Bring something for breakfast to share. Uh, there's always a good amount of food. And sometimes uh, there might be uh, the odd uh, muffin as well. And so we encourage the men to come. We have a special speaker on Saturday morning. Our brother, Reverend Andrew Simpson, is down in the area, and he's able to come, and he'll be here at 8 a.m. to bring a short devotion, and uh, he uh, will have fellowship uh, with us for breakfast as well. He's the minister of our sister congregation in Prince George, no stranger, I'm sure, to many of you. And so do come along and encourage our brother by coming and having fellowship uh, with him as well. On Sunday, the 10th of March, uh, after the evening service, so around 7.20 p.m., uh, we are arranging a baptismal service. And if you are interested in baptism, uh, then please uh, speak to myself uh, as soon as possible. Uh, there's a young man in our congregation, Cole, who's being baptized. And uh, we're uh, very blessed uh, to see his desire to come and uh, to be uh, baptized as a believer. And so if there are others who have never been baptized before and the Lord has been speaking to you about baptism, uh, then don't hesitate. Uh, do come and speak and we can have a conversation with you about uh, baptism. And then on Friday the 29th of March, uh, we have uh, our Good Friday service. This is something that has been done in the past. I remember, I think the first time I preached here uh, during uh, the vacancy was the Good Friday service. We had planned to come. It had been announced the church would be open again because of COVID, and we were going to come from Alberta to be with you, and uh, we made the plans at the weekend, and then on the Monday, everything was closed again, and so uh, we headed east uh, for a few days away, but we were able to, uh, we were able to have that service on Zoom. And, but it's in person, and uh, we're going to have our service at 4 p.m., and then after the service, around 5, just after 5, uh, we'll go downstairs for food and fellowship uh, for a potluck meal, as would normally be the case. And so we invite you to come and have fellowship with us. We'll be thinking about the Savior's death and, of course, his resurrection as well that weekend. Uh, so do come and have a time around the Word of God and time of fellowship as well. Friday the 29th of March, it's a, it's a little off, but it'll soon uh, come quickly. 
We're also seeking volunteers to help with the weekly uh, vacuuming and the care of the new carpet upstairs. And so uh, the carpet will have to be uh, vacuumed on a weekly basis. And there's a list of dates. There's a clipboard on the wall by the table. Uh, There's a new sheet there about the cleaning of the carpet. And there's dates there, Monday to Saturday each week, I think, till maybe the end of September, thereabouts. And so uh, if you are able to help, and if, you know, coming and vacuuming the carpet once a week, uh, now and again is something you can help out with, with everybody else, then we encourage you to put your name on that list. And uh, you can take any time that week, Monday through Saturday. Uh, this uh, building, this part of the building is only used really on the Lord's Day. And so any time, Monday to Saturday, uh, to suit you, uh, that work can be done. But we do encourage uh, those within the congregation to help out. And many hands make light work, as they say, and it will help our uh, brother Charlie out as well. And so if you are interested and you put your name on the list, then do uh, speak to our brother. He can help you with building access, etc., uh, show you and tell you uh, where uh, the vacuum is kept, etc. So we do encourage you to help with that. Do remember the Western Canada Family Conference that we're planning in conjunction with our Prince George congregation? And it is planned for Labor Day weekend, August the 30th to September the 1st in Williams Lake. The Reverend John Wagner will be the preacher at that weekend. There's information and leaflets available on the table. Uh, But we do encourage you to register. There is a registration email on the leaflet. Registration is free. It's not going to cost uh, you uh, to attend the conference other than accommodation and travel and some food. I suppose that's a lot of cost. Uh, But what I'm saying is that the actual coming to the services and attending and listening to the preaching, many conferences charge. We're not doing that, uh, but we do encourage you to let us know you're coming uh, because there are some catering arrangements that need to be made. And if we cater for 20 people and 120 show up, someone's going to have to share some food with you. And there's not going to be much to go around. And so we need to know the numbers. And if you are interested in coming, uh, do let us know. There's no real uh, cutoff point for that at this time. You might decide a week before to come. We can accommodate that. Uh, But uh, it would be good to know a little in advance if you are planning to come. So do uh, remember that. These are all the announcements, the subject to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 443. 443. O Christ, in thee my soul hath found and found in thee alone. And we'll remain seated while our tithes or offerings to the Lord's work are received.
Shall we pray? Our heavenly God and Father, we thank thee, Lord, that we can come together as a body of believers. We thank thee for thy provision and thy love to us. We ask you would take our tithes and our offerings, that you would use them and bless them for the furtherance of the gospel, that the word may go forth in this house and also in this land. We ask that you would minister to each one here this morning, help our pastor. We ask that you would give him unction from above, that you would help him to preach, and that you would touch each heart here. Help us, Lord, to honor thee in everything we do, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand to sing verse 3 and verse 4 of 443, please. Turning in the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1, been in this chapter for several weeks now, and we'll be in it again today, and possibly the next two Lord's Days as well, before moving into Uh, chapter 4, and we're going to commence at verse 1. The apostle is setting forth the qualifications uh, for bishop and then a deacon, and these men, as they're elected to this office, need to be these particular things, as we have considered. And of course, these aspects are basic Christianity as well a standard that we should desire and by God's grace work toward. First Timothy 3, the first one, let us hear the word of God. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, 
The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, and covetous, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grieved, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his precious and infallible truth this morning. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord as we come to consider his word. Uh, there's great importance to the preaching of scripture. And so let us pray. Let us all pray in our own hearts the Lord would speak to us. May you pray that the Lord would speak to you and encourage you. And as we said regarding the elders, you may not be a deacon. And as we come to consider deacons today, you may not be a deacon, but yet there are things to learn. And so may we learn. And may the Lord be pleased to lead us and direct us, not only learn in regard to a future election, in God's will, whenever that may be, because the congregation select men like this. And should select men like this. This is the passage that guides the election of deacons. Uh, but let us look at these qualifications as well as a standard for us to attain. To be pleasing in our lives and in our service for the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee today for thy precious word. We rejoice that there is that freedom to open it, to consider it. And Lord, we Pray that as we consider these qualifications today of the deacon, that thou would bless us, that thou would instruct us, and that we would learn something afresh of the role of the deacon. Lord, we pray that even as we move on considering the office bearers of the church, that thou would give us that desire to pray for office bearers, and that they would have these characteristics within their lives. They would not uh, fall short because of temptation or sin, but Lord, that thou would protect them, bless them, and help them uh, to be shining examples for thee and to be faithful to thee in all things. Give us a love for office bearers as well. Give us a love that we would pray for them and help them and encourage them in the work of God. 
And Father, we pray that we ourselves would have that desire to live for Thee and to serve Thee and to show forth Christ in living lives that are holy and lives that are godly by the help of Thy Spirit. Lord, teach us, we pray, and do us good. And we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The deacon is a servant within the church of Jesus Christ. And that is what the Greek word that is translated here in 1 Timothy 3 as deacon actually means. It is the Greek word uh, diakonos, one who serves, one who serves. And when the office of the deacon was set up in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said that they themselves were to concentrate upon the preaching of the Word of God rather than serving tables and helping the widows, which also was a necessary work. The apostles were not saying that we are above this work, but what they were saying is that their priority, the priority of their office was the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And therefore, in serving tables, uh, that was hindering the priority that was placed upon them to preach the Word of God. Uh, but serving tables and helping the widows was also a most necessary work. And so the word in that particular passage of Acts 6 that is uh, translated serving or serve is connected to that Greek word that is translated deacon. It means servant. And the role of deacon, therefore, is to serve in the more practical aspects of the work of God. The elder is the one who is set apart by God, either as a teaching elder or a ruling elder within the flock of God in a local congregation, to lead the spiritual aspect of that work, to oversee every avenue of service and worship within the local church. But the deacon has a practical aspect. Sometimes the role of an elder can overlap with the role of a deacon. The elder has the oversight of the deacon's work, and in our congregation, the elders attend the meetings of the board, the meetings of the deacons, and so there can be some overlap. But there is no overlap in the deacon doing the work of an elder, because that is a different role, and that is a different responsibility entirely. And so if a church has no deacons, then the elders can assist in the work of the deacon. If a church has no elders, and we have some congregations here in Canada that have no elders, then the deacons within that church cannot perform the role of elder. They cannot sit and meet and make decisions about the spiritual aspects of that particular work. There are interim elders. Interim elders that are from other congregations that oversee the work in that local church that has no elders. And our elders here have duties in that regard in other congregations as well. But the deacon is not one who takes the office of an elder to himself. He has a different office. He serves the Lord. It is an important office, but yet there is a different aspect to it, a different aspect. Matthew Henry 
Uh, the Bible commentator said that we have here, 1 Timothy 3, the character of deacons. These have the care of the temporal concerns of the church. That is the maintenance of the ministers and provision for the poor. They serve tables, while the ministers or bishops gave themselves only to the ministry of the word and prayer. We may think immediately then, well, the deacon does not have to be as spiritual as the elder because his role is different. But if we consider Acts chapter 6, Stephen was chosen as one of the first deacons. Why? He was a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. He was a man who was godly. He was a man who loved the Lord. He was a man who preached the word of God and a man who sought to serve him then in that office of a deacon. And the office of the deacon is a blessed office. We ought never to look down upon it. There are many who would see the office as a mere stepping stone. They don't really desire to be a deacon. They want to be an elder. They want to have that full oversight. They want to have that position within the church of overseeing everything that goes on. They don't really want to be a deacon. The deacon, that office is seen as a stepping stone to greater things. Often elders are chosen who have proved themselves as deacons, but not always, not always. What I'm saying is this, we should never, we should never look down upon that office. It is an important office. It is an office that is seen as being instituted in the Word of God. It is a vital office within the church of Christ, for its role lightens the practical burden of the elders and the pastor to engage in the spiritual aspect of the work, while the deacon engages in the important work of those practical aspects within the church. And we ought never to look down upon it or to think that a man does not have to be as godly as an elder or even godly in the first place to be a deacon. It is our office never to be looked down upon. But we are to pray for our deacons. We are to pray that God would raise up deacons to serve him within the local congregation. It is an office within the church where our Savior is served, an office that brings glory to him. And when we think of the deacon being a servant, who is the great servant? The Gospel of Mark reminds us of the great servant. It is a gospel that sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the great servant. The Savior served he was a faithful servant. He was a humble servant. He washed the feet of his disciples. Feet that wore sandals on dusty roads. Not feet that had been washed and showered that day. And feet that had nice socks upon them and comfortable shoes. But feet that had seen the wear and tear of the roads and the dirt and the dust. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came and he knelt down and he washed as a servant the feet of his disciples, showing his humble heart, showing to his disciples that really there is no work that is above them. 
no work that is above them. And so it is true of the deacon within the church of Christ. There is no work above them. There's a work to be done. It might be a tough work, a difficult work. It might not be a, a prestigious work, but it's a work for Christ. It's a work for Christ. It's a sacrificial work. The Savior, as the great servant, gave himself for us. The work of a deacon is a sacrificial work. Christ is also the faithful servant. He never faltered. He never took his eye off what was God's will. He never took his eye off his people. He was faithful in all things. And the, the Savior himself is that great example for every deacon and for every minister, and for every elder. There should be a desire and a zeal for the Lord's service within the deacon and within all of us. John Calvin said while preaching on this text that it is lamentable to see the present muddle we are in. He's speaking of nearly 500 years ago. A great many people are lacking in reverence for God for his word or for the church's order, that they are totally at sea, so that the papists about whom we have such pretty things to say, sarcasm, of course, are much more earnest than we are. You could think at the start of that quotation that he jumped in a time machine and arrived in 2024, saw how things were, went back to the 1500s and wrote about what was going on. Because we see the exact same thing today. Lamentable, he says, to see the present model we are in. A great many people are lacking in reverence for God, for His Word, or for the church's order. And we see that today. We see that in churches. We see that in individual lives. There's not the same reverence to serve the Lord, to live for Him. And the office of the deacon is to be an example within the church of serving the Lord. So is the elder, so is the pastor, but so is the deacon. An example in serving God in those practical things. It's our intention this morning to look at the qualifications of the deacon. But we're going to limit our study this morning to those qualifications that differ from that of an elder. There's an overlap of qualifications. The deacon is to be blameless. He's not to be greedy or filthy looker. There are qualifications that are similar to that of an elder that we've already looked at. And so we won't repeat ourselves, hopefully not too much. But the qualifications of the deacon, there are three thoughts. And I've summarized all of this under umbrella terms as we did with the elders. A respectful, dignified life, first of all. A respectful, dignified life. The life of a deacon should be worthy of respect. His attitude in this role is extremely important. And Paul outlines characteristics to us that are similar to that of an elder. If we consider 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the verse number 8, likewise must the deacons be grieved. Be grieved. And that word means he's to be respectable. He's to be dignified. He's to be one who moves in gravity. That word gravity emphasizes dignity. He's not to run around the church dressed up like a clown, acting like a clown. He is to be a man who takes things seriously. 
He can smile. He can have humor. He can tell jokes. Most definitely. That's not what this word grieve means. They're not saying the deacon has to stand straight and still and have a frown upon his face constantly. No, it means the seriousness of the work. It's a serious work. It's a task that he must put his mind to. It is something that is dignified and brings respect. There's to be a certain conducting in the seriousness of this work. And of course, we see that in in what the apostle says. Verse 8, Likewise, must the deacons be grieved, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience and moving down, being found blameless, being found blameless. So there is a dignity attached to this office. And we see the deacon is not to be double-tongued. He's not to be double-tongued. One of the characters in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is Mr. Two-Tongues. That does not mean that the character himself has two tongues or were to visibly inspect every deacon to check that he doesn't have two tongues. That's ludicrous, as we know. What it means is very simply, he is not to speak one thing and speak another that is the opposite to somebody else. He is to be honest. A commentator said that the word of a deacon ought to be one of the strongest guarantees in the church. One of the strongest guarantees in the church. A man who can be trusted. Matthew chapter 21 outlines to us something of this. Matthew 21, the verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Here there is an example of two men. They said one thing, and they did another. One said, I will not go, but he repented and went. And the other said, he would go and didn't. And a deacon is not to be like that. He's not to be double-tongued like that. A deacon must do what he says. He cannot be two-faced. Two-faced. Many commentators have spoken about the work of a deacon, and especially in older days, where there was not perhaps government care that there is today, of how the deacon had those interests in the affairs of individuals and the needs of individuals and may have known many private details about individuals. And therefore, those things were to be kept in confidence. And he was not to talk. He was not to slander. He was not to be double-tongued. The deacon is to be careful what he says, because as one commentator said in regard to that role of care and practical things, he knows much about people's private affairs. The same can be true of the elder also. There are people who confide, who share their needs. And those things are to be kept. They're not to be talked about. We're not to go to someone else in the congregation. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about their situation? 
Did you hear they've lost their job? Did you hear that they've got absolutely no money? Do you hear that uh, they're in big financial trouble? There's a massive problem here. Did you hear about it? The only fact that that person knows about it is because it was in confidence. In confidence. There is to be that privacy regarding the affairs of others. The deacon is not to be double-tongued. But he's also not to be greedy of money. We mentioned this with the elder. But it is important. First Timothy 6 tells us, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Men do great and terrible things for money. And this is an important qualification because the deacon has the responsibility for the temporal affairs of the church, for the money of the church, for collecting that money, for distributing that money. That money is not for personal means because it is God's money. And therefore, there's a double cur here. There's a cur over the church finances and there is a cur over his own finances so that money will not be a snare unto him. So there will not be temptation to take money that does not belong to him. So these qualifications emphasize there's to be a dignified life, a life that is blameless, a life that looks to the Lord for guidance and for grace. And dear believer, the same should be true of you and I, of all of us. We're not to be double-tongued. I think we can all agree that this is not merely something for the elder or for the deacon. We're not to be double-tongued about one another. We're not to be greedy or filthy looker on money or be taken in by the love of money. I think we can agree that that is something that should apply to us all. And then we have, secondly here, a true doctrinal life. A true doctrinal life. Verse number 9. And we have the apostle here, he says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The outward serving life of the deacon is founded upon his belief in the word of God. The deacon must have then a good understanding of theology, have a desire to know and apply the truth of God in his life. Now, his understanding of the word of God uh, may not be at the great theological depths of what an elder might be or a teaching elder might be. But the deacon is to know the word of God and desire the word of God and apply the word of God in his life. That word mystery that is used in verse 9, the mystery of the faith, is often used in the New Testament, but it does not refer to the idea of mystery. We can go on and watch television programs and detective novels, and there's a great mystery that the episode of the novel revolves around. Who killed who? Who done it? That's not what the apostle is getting at here. He's not saying that the deacon is some sort of CSI who has to go and uncover these mysteries. What it means is there's something that has long been hidden, but now it's been revealed and revealed in the truth of God. It refers to God's secret plans and purposes and decrees that are now being fulfilled. The mysteries of the faith are set out in the Word of God. Those basic doctrines, the creation of man and sin and salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture. And Paul is saying the deacon must know 
the mystery of the faith. He must know these doctrines that have been revealed. And that shows us that the deacon must be a man who knows the truth of the gospel. It's not the same role as the role of an elder, which is a spiritual work. But that does not mean that those who are unconverted can do the work of a deacon. Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And so the deacon must be a man who holds the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. He's a man who was saved, a man who was redeemed, a man who was Christ as his Savior and as his anchor in life. What about you this morning? Do you know him? Do you know the Savior as your anchor, the great anchor of your soul? Do you know him as your Redeemer, the one who has saved you? You can never begin to think about serving the Lord if you know not Christ as Savior. Some may say, well, I wouldn't want to serve the Lord if I was a sinner. We can understand that. Why would anyone who doesn't know Christ want to serve the Lord? But we see unsaved individuals in roles like the deacon, like the elder, like the pastor within churches. There are those who have preached in youth services, meetings of young people, youth fellowships. I've been present at at least one meeting where that has happened. A young person has brought the message to the youth group, and they weren't saved. Now, they profess to be saved, and they said they had a testimony, and they attended the services, and they attended faithfully, but as it turned out, a little while later, their salvation was not built on Christ the way it ought to have been. They were looking to the faith of their parents. My family's saved. My siblings are saved. My parents are saved. We're a Christian family. We go to church. Therefore, I'm okay. And they lived that by. And then one day the Lord spoke to them. They realized, I'm not truly saved at all. Not truly saved at all. And by God's grace, the matter was put right. There are those who serve the Lord, but they're not with Him. They know not Him. They're not His redeemed people because they've never trusted in Christ. What of you this morning? What of you this morning? Deep down within your heart, is there that true love for Christ because you're His, you've repented of sin, you've trusted in Him? Oh, the service of a deacon is built upon Christ. The great example of a servant, the one who died to redeem His people. <laughs> and Paul is saying that the deacon must know and believe these truths. And that shows us an important light upon the deacon. As I've said, there are those who think this role isn't as vital because it's not as spiritual to the eldership. But yet it is important. Important. The deacon must be a man who knows Christ and loves Christ and desires to serve Christ. A man may be a deacon all of his life and never be an elder. But he serves with a heart that loves Christ in the role that he has within the church of Christ. And these important characteristics 
of knowing the truth of God is important for the believer as well. The question may be asked, well, the deacon is more of a hands-on, practical man in the church. Why does he need to be overly spiritual? Why does he need to be founded in sound doctrine? And there's a simple answer. His role as a deacon is important. It is important work. And he must know how the Scriptures guide and instruct in such work. He must know Christian principles. And those principles flow to us from Christian doctrine. And that doctrine must be applied within our lives and our hearts. The deacon has influence within the church of Christ. He may not be preaching. He may not be making those spiritual decisions. But his role is typically that not that of teaching. He may bring encouragement. He may speak to the sick. He may teach others to serve. He may set a good example within the church and be helpful and kind and caring and compassionate toward others and teach that by his example. And in order to truly engage in that aspect of ministry for Christ, he must have a knowledge of the doctrines of Christ because those doctrines bring us closer to Christ. And bring us closer in understanding who our Savior is and in practicing those things. Verse 10 implies a testing to prove the deacon. And let these also first be proved and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. These men are to be blameless, but they're to be proved. They're to be proved. Not just anybody, but men as in Acts Six men full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Dear believer, when we think of the deacon growing in grace and knowledge, and that grace and knowledge having a practical effect within his work for the Lord, the same is true of you. You're to grow in knowledge. You're to grow in faith. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 speaks about the error of the wicked and falling from your own steadfastness. And how are we to stand against that? He says, verse 18, 2 Peter 3, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to live for God, to stand against error, to serve Him with our lives. We're to grow in grace and knowledge. We're to grow in the grace of the Lord. We're to grow in the knowledge of Christ. I remember when I worked for Canada Post before I came here, I, because of how the system worked, I didn't have a route of my own, so I didn't have the same route every single day. Some days, some weeks, I had a different route every single day. And at the start of my time there, that was a little daunting because you'd go in in the morning, you'd be given a route, you've never done that route before, and therefore... It's going to take you time. You don't know the route. You don't know the layout of the route. You don't know coming to uh, an apartment building. Where's the entrance? You might see the main entrance, but that doesn't mean the mailboxes are at the main entrance. The mailboxes could be underneath in the parking lot. And I remember going on routes like that. I had two blocks, all apartments. Normally, you go in and out very, very quickly. I remember doing it later on in about an hour, two blocks, really fast. But the first time I did it, it took half the day because you went in and where's the mailboxes? It's not at the entrance like our apartment used to be. 
there was a side room or you had to go down to the parking lot in the basement to try and find where these mailboxes were. It was difficult. It was time-consuming. But once you got the knowledge of where it all was, it was much easier, much easier. Some of those business routes as well, where do you go for the businesses? Do you go to the back? Do you go to the front? Where is this business? Because you look at a building and you're not quite sure where the business actually is in the building. Once you did the route, it was great. I remember the first, the first day on the job, they sent me on a business route. To do a full business route, my supervisor was off. She came in the, the week after and was absolutely shocked. They threw me my first day on my own on a business route at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was normally starting about 8 o'clock. It took me, there were three sections in the route. It took me about nine hours to do two sections and not even to fully do two sections to try and find where everything was. But by the time I knew that route well, I could do two sections in 90 minutes. That's how quick it could be. It makes the difference. Knowing, knowing. Dear believer, whether you're an office bearer in the church of Christ or not, growing in your knowledge of Christ, growing in your Christian experience, it helps you to serve Him. It gives you that strength and that confidence to serve Christ. How can you serve Him well? By growing in grace. And this is what Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just the elder or the minister or the deacon, but all of us, by God's grace. Dear believer, this great characteristic of a deacon to know and hold the word, to hold, know and hold the doctrines of faith, is to be found within all of us. It's to be found within all of us. Will you desire us to learn more of Christ? That's a vital question. You can say, Pastor, yes, I'm desirous. I'm a Christian. Well, assess your study of Scripture. Assess your attendance at the house of God. Assess your prayer life. Assess your attitude toward others. Assess the testimony that you have for Christ in your family and in your workplace. In all these things, is there a desire within you to know more of Christ? And apply that knowledge to your daily Christian life. The truth of God and the doctrines of Scripture ought to inflame our hearts with love for Christ and motivate us to serve Him. And then thirdly, we see a godly domestic life, similar to the elder. A godly domestic life, verse 11, even so must the wives be grieved, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. There are similarities here to the elder. And if the deacon is married, then these things are to be found within his life. He is to have a stable and a godly domestic life. There is mention here about the deacon's wives and the wives of office bearers have to behave in a certain way. There is privacy needed. We can come and consider that again. The deacon, the elder, uh, has a certain level of confidentiality within their work. There are aspects of that work that are highly confidential. Sometimes spouses, because they are spouses, know a little more than the average person about certain needs and matters. Not overly highly confidential matters, that should not be the case. But if I was going to see a certain individual who had needs within the congregation on a regular basis, 
My wife's going to understand, well, there's a concern here. There's a great need here. Someone is not well, or someone may have other concerns. Whatever they are, that's private. But there's a certain level of privacy that is needed. And therefore, the wives of the deacon, the wives of the elders, are to be careful in these things as well. I think rather than pointing out all these aspects in regard to the life of a deacon's wife, we should instead state simply that the spouse of a deacon, the spouse of an elder, should help and encourage their husband in his work, that by her grace that he would be efficient, that he would be effective and godly in this ministry for the Lord, and acknowledge that by what Paul is saying here regarding slander and a double tongue, if that were to happen, this work would be greatly hindered. What is Paul saying? The spouses should support and encourage and help their husband in the work of the Lord. And there is a great need for all of us to help our spouses to serve the Lord and to live for the Lord and to glory, glorify the Lord. There's a need for all of us to be careful about these things. When we think of what the word slander means, How easy it is to slander and gossip and have a double tongue about fellow believers. And Paul is warning. He's saying this should never be part of the church. And certainly never part of the church leadership. Slandering and being double tongued. We're to be faithful in all things. We're to avoid these negative actions. I have an active memory of over 30 years being active within church life. As a young child growing up, pastor's kid, you see things, you hear things, often you stop and think, and looking back, I stop and think to use the famous R.C. Spool phase, what's wrong with you people? What is going on? Why are things happening the way they're happening? Because of slander and gossip and the double tongue running riot through the church. Because of the wives of office bearers or others within the congregation going round each other and slandering the leadership of the church because someone has offended you and that person's name is dragged through the mud instead of resolving the issue like Matthew 18. And we could truly say, what's wrong? As R.C. Spool said, what's wrong with you people? And Paul is saying here, that should never be the case. Never be the case. Within the church of Christ, there should not be slandering. There should not be this double tongue. If there is an issue one with another, it's resolved by biblical principles. Every spouse is to support the husband within the work of God and vice versa. And we can widen this and look at all of us. Are we truly supportive of God's work? We may not agree with every single little thing. But are we praying? Are we serving? Are we loving the way that we ought to be loving so that Christ would be glorified rather than his saints be slandered? I think it is vital what Paul is saying here. He directs it to the deacons. He directs it in this passage, specifically to the wives. But how applicable it is for all of us to be careful what we say. To be careful what we say. 
The deacon is to have a godly domestic life. The children are to be taught the word of God. Christ is to be central. And we see that in verse 12 as well. And so these standards and duties to close, they're high. They're high. Some of that work may be private. Man may not see it. But God notices it and God commends it. And those who serve well, what does Paul say? Verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Great boldness and confidence in Christ, that's a great reward. It's a benefit to the strength of their faith. So dear congregation, when we think of these qualifications, these qualifications are a guide to us when elections are held for the role of the deacon. The reminder of God's expectations for those who are deacons and for us all. They are a worthy goal for those who desire to serve the Lord. To have that standard. But when we look at these things, how important it is to pray for the leadership of the church. How important it is to pray for one another that we would live lives that show forth Christ in all his fullness. That Satan would not enter in because there may be a double tongue or there may be slander. That the Lord would keep us from such things. Or that we would pray that here we would know God's blessing as we seek to live for him. Take these standards and make them part of our lives and part of the life of the church. So that together, as Paul said to the Corinthians, we are laborers together. Some are members, some are not. Some are deacons, some are not. Some are elders, some are not. There's a pastor in there too. We're all laborers together. We all serve the Lord together. And so let us be encouraged and challenged by these standards, by these qualifications. Let us live out practical godliness caring, loving, serving one another for the glory of God. Amen. And let us turn in our hymnals to close to the hymn 472. 472. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame. 472 will stand to sing, please.
Let us pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we pray thy blessing upon us and upon thy word. May we be those who love thee and show forth our love for thee by living lives that are godly, by seeking to uphold thy standards. Lord, we pray we would be a people who love one another. And we thank thee and we rejoice in the love and bond we have with one another. We pray that bond, that love would grow and that thou would indeed bless it for the glory of thy name. Lord, we pray thou would part us with thy blessing, take us to our homes in safety. Continue with us, we pray. And may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all.